Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. If you will please remain standing for the gospel. For reading of the gospel, Mark 9, 38 through 50. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us, for truly I tell you, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed and to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life main than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. And if it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where their worm never dies, and the fire is never quelched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourself, and be at peace with one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, we sang one of my favorite lines in all of the United Methodist hymnal. Take away our bent to sinning, Alpha and Omega be. End of faith as its beginning set our hearts at liberty. That's old English. I don't really know what that means, but I like it. No, I do know what it means. it, It means that we are continually in renewal that we are continually trying to get better, that we are continually asking God to take away this natural desire to stare at our own navels, to navel gaze and think that we are the highest creation that we have ever made and to credit ourselves for our own work. To take away our bent to sinning means to become more like Christ in all efforts of our lives and that takes on many different shapes and many different forms throughout our Christian journey. When I was younger, that line, take away our bent to sinning, meant something different to me than it does now. Then, around fifth or sixth grade, I thought it meant that you had to cut off relationships, that you had to cut off those people or places from your life that would be there to make you stumble or to trip you up. But what I didn't realize at the time, however, was that I was whittling down my potential temptations, I was also whittling down, narrowing, and shrinking my understanding of God. I was making God smaller 
not just smaller, I was making God small-minded. And God's primary, primary power then lay in the threat of punishment rather than empowering movement of love and grace to set our hearts at liberty. There was a time for me when faith and spirituality became about the rules, about right and wrong, about who was in and who was out, who was going to be rewarded by God and who was going to be punished by God. Of course, these concerns are not uniquely those of a young person or someone new to the faith. This way of thinking, this philosophy cuts across all Christian denominations, including our own, and we see these same concerns cropping up in discussions in the United Methodist Church as a denomination over marriage equality, over authority of Scripture, and over who can be called to be a minister. And so it's no surprise then that we see this argument, this human condition in our gospel lesson for today. The idea, the theme of reward, of punishment is expressed by Jesus while the concerns of belonging and exclusion are expressed by the disciples. You see, the disciples in the story were worried about who was in and who was out, who belonged and who didn't. And they seemed more concerned whether these things, even great miraculous things, were being done in the right and the proper way. They weren't concerned about whether it was the work of God to heal the world in love, but was it being done in our way? You see, prior to this conversation, the disciples had been unable to cast out an evil spirit. And in some time between that failure and our scripture for today, they witnessed an unnamed healer cast out a spirit in Jesus' name, even though he wasn't part of of the disciples. But instead of approaching this healer in gratitude and celebration that this person had been healed, instead they went to Jesus and complained because God was working in spite of them. You can almost see Jesus shaking his head in frustration when he explains that it's actually good when people are healed from sickness and even better when they are doing it in Jesus' own name. And yet the disciples clearly missed the point again, so Jesus offers them two exaggerated scenarios for understanding what a life of following Christ is really all about. And it starts with something very, very easy. Jesus explains that if anyone offers a cup of cold water to a little one, their divine reward is assured. But on the other hand, Jesus explains that if we are to avoid punishment, eternal punishment, we should cut off whatever body part causes our temptation. Instead of an eye for an eye, Jesus seems to be advocating an eye for a sin. And now, Let's hit the pause button and understand that we aren't supposed to take these sayings literally. I can't have the emergency rooms filled up, and I can't be liable for what you hear me saying this morning. These are obviously exaggerations, both the cup of cold water and the axe which removes the sin. Otherwise, none of us would have eyes. We probably wouldn't have many limbs between us. 
And we most certainly wouldn't have any tongues left. Might not be a bad thing, because then you wouldn't have to listen to me preach anymore. But I do think Jesus is saying something profoundly important about the way we understand faith. Notice how ridiculously high the bar is when faith is centered around the avoidance of punishment. You'll have to cut off parts of your body to pluck out your eyes to disfigure yourself. Essentially, Jesus is saying if you want a perfect life, the only way you will be able to do that is if you completely separate yourself from who you are. So you can't do anything but just exist. In other words, seeking perfection in the way of Jesus of Nazareth will cost you everything. But on the other hand, notice how ridiculously low the bar is when faith is centered in acts of kindness and generosity. One cup of cold water. That's it. One cup is enough for an eternal reward. And Jesus presents us with these two options. The way of perfection and punishment with its impossibly high standards, or the way of generosity and reward with its comically low standards. The way of cold water and the way of the axe. One cuts and divides, one maims and kills, one cleanses and revives, refreshes and gives life. And today, even today, we disagree on the ways in which God would have us live. Because there are some who understand it as a holy mission to hack and chop away at what they consider sinful in this world. And yet others believe God calls us to offer cold water to a world that is thirsty for healing, for grace, and for generosity. And if we're honest, we have to realize that both of these positions are orthodox in their understanding. They are part of our Christian tradition. Both are represented by the historic faith. Both have strong support within the story of scriptures. So as with most theological questions, as with most of our wrestling with God, it comes down to who you think God really is and what you think God is really all about. If you follow the way of the axe, centering our faith in the avoidance of punishment and sin, we are also basing it in the unspoken belief that we deserve to be punished. This philosophy of the axe believes that when something fails or when something goes wrong, someone has to be blamed and someone has to pay. It holds this retaliatory notion of a God that looks at us, demands perfection, and when we inevitably, inevitably fall short, responds with punishment. But the way of cold water, however, rests on the belief that God loves us, that God reaches out to us in relationship, and when we inevitably fall short, when we grow thirsty, God offers us not punishment, but cold water. The water of life to revive us that never runs dry. So we can spend our lives being exceptionally and unreasonably hard on ourselves, hacking away at our lives in hopes of avoiding sin 
and punishment, or we can spend our lives by being extraordinarily and abundantly generous with each other and with ourselves. We can look at the world around us, fractured by suffering and hate, and reach for the axe, believing ourselves to be on a holy mission to eradicate sin, to shrink our world so that it's only us and those like us in it. But history and Christianity and Jesus of Nazareth teaches us that we will only add more suffering and more brokenness when we begin to grab the axe. So we reach for the cup of cold water to respond with generosity and grace to all, to give life to others, in the process give life to ourselves. Maybe it's better asked this way. What does the world need? Another axe or another cup of cold water? We've seen what it looks like when we take an axe to the world. In fact, it frequently seems to be the philosophy of the axe that runs the world. It's the philosophy of the axe that demands the need for cold water. With war and violence in the Middle East, in Iraq and Syria, hacking away the stability of a region leads directly to the mass exodus from people in Syria who are desperate for a cup of cold water. What does a cup of cold water look like to someone who's fleeing the axe? What does a cup of cold water look like in our state, in our city, in our homes, in our church? You know, maybe it's not hyperbole after all, this business of a cup of cold water. After all, in our tradition, water holds special significance. When we pour water over someone's head being baptized, it means that they are marked as God's child, beloved part of an eternal family. When Jesus is at the well, he offers the woman a cup of cold water, living water that will quench thirst forever. Maybe offering a cup of cold water is really all it takes, and maybe just maybe the one cup of cold water is enough to bathe, to heal, to quench the thirst of the world with the love of God. I've recently discovered how much of a Methodist nerd I am in reading John Wesley's sermons. I brought my John Wesley sermon book with me along with my Bible up here this morning because John Wesley has a sermon on this very scripture and this founder of Methodism, one of the reasons why I think he was so dynamic was that he pulled no punches. Not only did he go out into the street to preach the gospel, he, like Jesus, was most critical to people like me, the established ruling clergy elite with robes and stoles and stripes and degrees and all that kind of stuff, but also people who would treat church like a country club. He was kind of adamant a against those folks who got offended when Jesus' love was extended to all. In fact, John Wesley himself was beaten and had fruit thrown at him for proclaiming the good news to people outside of the church. He said, I am a man of one book, the Bible. And what Wesley saw running throughout this scripture was not judgment, was not the acts, but grace. 
And there's a sermon that I came across in preparation where I think John Wesley says it better than I could. Now, I'm not going to read you Old English for another 15 minutes, but there's a couple paragraphs here in a sermon based upon our gospel lesson for today. And the sermon is called A Caution Against Bigotry. Everyone is either on God's side or Satan's. Are you on God's side? Then you will not only forbid anyone that casts out devils, but you will labor to the utmost of your power to forward that person in the work. You will readily acknowledge the work of God and confess the greatness of it. You will remove all difficulties and objections as far as may be out of the person's way. You will strengthen their hands by speaking honorably of them before all people and avowing the things which you have seen and heard. You will encourage others to attend upon their word, to hear them whom God hath sent. And you will omit no actual proof of tender love which God gives you an opportunity of showing that person. Examine yourself. Ask yourself these questions. Do I not indirectly at least forbid that person on any grounds? Am I not sorry that God should thus own and bless a person that holds differing opinions? Do I not discourage that person because they are not of my church? By disputing with them concerning it, by raising objections and by perplexing their mind with distant consequences, do I show no anger, contempt, or unkindness of any sort in either my words or actions? Do I not mention behind their back their real or supposed faults, their defects or infirmities? Do not I hinder sinners from hearing their word? If you do any of these things... You are a bigot to this day. That sermon was written in 1750, 268 years ago, long before there was a Sandy Springs United Methodist Church or even a country called America. And John Wesley hits it right on the nose when he asks us to examine ourselves. Are we more upset when someone does something outside of our name or within Jesus' name? Are we more upset when someone offers a cup of cold water, not through our ministries and not through our programs or ways of thinking, but through any other direction? Is our God not big enough to offer a cup of cold water? What do we want to be as followers of Christ in this community? Where is the need for a real or imagined or metaphorical cup of cold water. I think we're getting close to being the place where the springs of life come up. Not because of our name and not because of who we are, but because of who God has called us to be. And it happens in subtle ways, and I've tried and tried to put my finger on it, but it finally became clear, I think, who God wants us to be as a church moving forward. And it came not from a member of our church, but from a teacher in the preschool. You see, Lynn Moore's the kindergarten teacher at the preschool. She teaches the kindergarten class over there. Our son Davis had her when he was in the young fives class when we first began at this church. And two weeks ago on September 15th, 
when we had our second week of soccer out on the fields and we had our outdoor classroom dedication, our church also hosted a funeral for someone who was not a member of this church, but a member of this community. His name was Jay Jackson. He was 51 years old and passed away from cancer after being diagnosed on July 17th of this year. Jay Jackson was a prosecutor in Clayton County who went after the baddest of the bad, those who would harm women and children. He was a prosecuting attorney in the Clayton County Color Guard, filled the sanctuary. Members of his faith, members of other faiths came to celebrate this life. And on that day, in the chaos and confusion and tears of soccer, in the celebration of pizza and popsicles on the outdoor classroom, and in the remembrance of a life well lived in this sanctuary, Lynn Moore offered the words, this is what Sandy Springs looks like. This is what our community looks like when we are busy about doing the things that usher us from life until death to offer recreation and hope and wonderment of God's creation. We are offering a cup of cold water. So are we standing in people's way because they do something different than us? Are we limiting what God can do when someone doesn't act with our southern dispositions? What will be the warning for us as the church? What is the axe that is waiting for us? And how can we, by the grace of God, extend a cup of cold water to the least of these? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What will be our story? What will be our song? Will it be fear or condemnation? Or will it be that blessed assurance, knowing that Christ is for us, behind us, in front of us? You have an axe, you have a cup of cold water. Which is it that you would rather receive? Which is it that you would rather give? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord with his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.